Well, hey, everyone. Good to see all of you here. Welcome to spring, obviously. 40 degrees, 48 degrees going to be today. I mean, any of you hope that maybe winter could possibly be over? Anyone, anyone out there? I'm thinking like, man, we're just moving right on to spring. Thank goodness. It's also Super Bowl Sunday. Now, be honest. Do you care about the Super Bowl at all? I mean, give me a little shout if you care at all. A few of you. So there must be like Niners, Chiefs fans. What about just like the commercials or halftime show? Anyone just in it for, yeah, a few of you there. Okay, great. I don't even know who's doing the halftime this year. I'm a Seahawks fan. I grew up in the state of Washington and, uh, I'm sorry about that. I know I, I've, I've found that most people in Minnesota hate the Seahawks for some reason. There's just like this. I, there was a couple of games back there in the past, but, uh, whenever I admit that, I feel like I get off to a bad start. So I'm not sure why I started with that, but anyways, uh, hey, as I mentioned, my name's John Alexander. I work at a church here in the Twin Cities called Eagle Brook Church. And one of my just life missions is that the Bible-believing, Christ-centered churches would see each other as as teammates, that we're, we're on the same team. And so we've heard such just incredible things about what God is doing here at Renovation. So it's truly a privilege to be here with you. I've gotten to know David over the last couple of years, and you just have a fantastic lead pastor who is leading the way. And um, and yeah, just with exciting things happening in the near future. So again, it's just a, a real privilege to be here with you. But today, we're going to look at someone in the Bible, a, a man named Solomon. You probably have heard of Solomon before. He takes up some of the uh, Old Testament wrote a lot of the, the book of Proverbs um, in the Old Testament. But this is a man who had everything. Solomon had everything. He had armies and money, fame. He had knowledge, influence, and leadership. God actually said to, to King David, Solomon's father, that if your descendants would follow me faithfully, one of them will always be the leader of Israel. However, by the time Solomon died, he had broken almost every one of God's commandments about how to lead Israel. And because of that, the kingdom of Israel eventually split into two. And Solomon, this guy who had everything, he ends up falling. Now, how could that happen? Because of something I want us to learn specifically as we're like a month into the new year. I mean, 2020 a new decade. Maybe you've made all these plans for new things. You know, you got new workouts, new goals, new dreams, new ideas, new eating plans. It's keto or Whole30 or whatever it is. Just we've got all kinds of new and it all adds up to more and more and more. But here's what I want us to learn from Solomon this morning. See, Solomon fell because of what I refer to as the undisciplined pursuit of more. And I got this phrase from a book written by Jim Collins, How the Mighty Fall. See, Solomon pursued so much of what didn't matter that had gotten in the way of what actually did matter. I want to say that again because it's so important for our conversation today. See, Solomon pursued so much of what didn't matter that had gotten in the way of what actually now, I can relate, maybe you can, but I can relate because I've been programmed to believe that more is just always better. I mean, if one is good, two is better, right? If one dollar is good, two dollars are better. If one car is good, two, two cars are better. If one donut is good, two donuts are better. If one kid is good, two kids are tougher, okay? Tougher. 
we were such good parents with our first kid. Our second one, we have like, we aren't, we don't know what we're doing anymore. And she's four, so she has no hope. But most of us would agree. Most of us would agree that we've been taught to believe that more is just always better. But at some point, we've got to stop and ask ourselves, is that actually true? It's more always better. Now, my wife, Emily, she loves to rearrange furniture in our house and update our home furniture. I mean, all the time. If I'm gone for eight or more hours in the course of a day, there's a better than 50% chance that my wife, God bless her, has replaced, sold, or moved some of our furniture around. Also, she can bring in more of it. Now, a couple of months ago, I came home from a work trip and I said, Emily, what happened to my favorite chair? And she said, what favorite chair? I said, the chair I sit in every morning to read and drink coffee. It was this nice Ikea sofa chair that we had bought brand new a couple of years ago. And she said, oh, I moved that chair upstairs. Now I got you a new favorite chair from the Goodwill. I said, I, I don't, we don't need this chair. <laughs> See, I want my old chair back. She said, you can sit in that chair upstairs. I said, I don't want to sit in upstairs. <laughs> I want to sit in it downstairs right in my favorite spot where I've always sat in it. And she said, you'll be fine. Okay, and that ended the conversation right there. (laughs) Now, in the three months that we had that new chair from the Goodwill, I sat in this new favorite chair one time. Why? Because it was the least comfortable chair in the history of chairs. It was this wicker chair with horrible support, but according to Emily, it, quote, fit our space better. Can any men relate out there, okay? We didn't need another chair. Hold your applause. You're going to get punched. (laughs) We didn't need another chair, but now we had two chairs and and both ended up being terrible for me. (laughs) Now, it's not just home furnishings that Emily pursues more of. By the way, most of the deals she finds are thrift store finds and Goodwill finds or a piece of furniture on the side of the road. That's just who she is. But she loves the hunt for clothes. I mean, Emily's constantly saving us money by buying clothes on sale. She'll come home and say, John, I bought this shirt for $6. It was originally 20. So I saved us $14. And my first thought is, no, that's not how you didn't save us money. Okay. You spent $6. I mean, calling it savings is the biggest trick in the book. All right. But last spring, we, we did get serious about our need to cut back on stuff. And I'm being honest with you. We don't buy a lot of new stuff. It's, it's just junk that we find at thrift stores and Goodwills and things like that. But, but we got serious about our need to cut back and uh, just remove some of the stuff that we had accumulated over the years. And the very next day, I'm not kidding you, my wife Emily came home uh, with this a hanger that was shaped like an owl and it was pink and velvety. And she said it was for me to hang my belts. And I'm thinking, I don't want this pink owl hanger. What are you doing? Now, of course, I know it seems like I'm picking on Emily and that seems totally unfair. That's because I buy only extremely necessary things, okay? Like the brand new golf shoes I got last spring to replace my perfectly good ones. That's necessary, right? But here's the question. She would agree with this story, by the way. Why does it always seem like we're pursuing more? I mean, the reality is most of us, uh, we're probably not the only ones who pursue more stuff. Most of us, I think, can relate to stories like these. For us, it's used furniture and clothes. But for you, it might be more money. Friends or activities. One is good, remember, but two is actually better. Less is worse 
and more is better. At least we've been programmed to believe. By the way, none of the things that I've talked about are inherently bad things. In fact, money and friends and clothes, activities, even used furniture, they're essential to life and marriages. But it's the undisciplined pursuit of more. When we pursue more of what doesn't matter, that it gets in the way of what does. And when we do that, that's what causes anxiety and a lack of margin and an inability to prioritize what's most important. So today, if you've ever felt, and maybe it's today, maybe it's sometime in your past, if you've ever felt like your life is is kind of out of control, Maybe you're always in motion, but, but you're never totally fulfilled. Maybe you feel like you're always on the go, but you're not really making any progress. Maybe the answer isn't more. Maybe the solution is the disciplined pursuit of less. Maybe less is more. And there's no better person to learn this truth from than from King Solomon. Now Solomon, as I mentioned, was the son of King David, and he was the third king in Israel's history after Saul and David. Outside looking in again, Solomon had everything. He had it all. In fact, during his 40-year reign as king, Israel experienced tremendous abundance, unity, and peace. Solomon at one point asked God for wisdom, and God made Solomon the wisest man to ever live. And you'd think that'd be enough for someone, but not for Solomon. I mean, during his 40 years of leadership, he accumulated vast amounts of riches, horses, land, armies, fame, and money. In fact, he wrote, anything I wanted, in Ecclesiastes 2, he says, I would take. (laughs) I denied myself no pleasure. One estimate suggests that Solomon was worth $2.1 trillion dollars. In today's economy, that would be the richest of all time. Just to give you some perspective, the second on that list, once you account for, you know, the time of uh, when they lived, the second on that list would be John D. Rockefeller with $660 billion. Now Solomon wrote a thousand songs. He composed 3,000 proverbs, spoke with authority on nearly every subject because of his wisdom, and he oversaw the construction of the temple. The writer of 1 Kings said Solomon completed everything he had planned to do. I can barely get through a day with crossing things off my checklist. Solomon completed everything he had planned to do. See, he had lived the more that you or I could only dream of. And yet this is the same guy who later wrote in Ecclesiastes 2. He says, as I looked at everything I had worked so hard to accomplish, it was also meaningless, he said. Like chasing the wind. I mean, how could one have everything and then conclude that everything is meaningless? Because as we're going to learn, more is not always better. In fact, it was the pursuit of more that led to his fall. See, Solomon had 700 wives and 300 concubines. And that's for another message, okay? But many of them were from foreign lands, which God had specifically instructed Israel in this Old Testament law not to do. And these foreign women influenced Solomon to worship other gods. Solomon's story ends with this note in 1 Kings. The Lord was very angry with Solomon for his heart had turned away from the Lord, the God of Israel. The Lord said to Solomon, since you have not kept my covenant and have disobeyed my decrees, I will tear the kingdom from you. And that's what happened. 
after his death, the kingdom of Israel split into two. See, this undisciplined pursuit of more caused him to lose sight of what's most important, his relationship with and obedience to God. Now, I don't know about you, but I I think I do. And I don't want to get to the end of my life, let alone even the end of this week or the end of this, this day and realize I pursued so much of the wrong things that had gotten the way of the most important things. That's why more is not always better. But the good news for us when we turn to scripture or the Bible is that we can learn from people like Solomon. We can learn from his mistakes. We can live with a disciplined pursuit of less, less of what doesn't matter. So we have more time and margin and energy to pursue more of what does. So real quick, I want to give you three ways that we can all choose to live with a disciplined pursuit of less. And the first is this, we got to decide what matters most. I mean, if Solomon completed everything and conclude that concludes that everything is actually meaningless, then what does matter, right? Well, Solomon said there's nothing better for people in this world than to eat, drink, and enjoy life. That way they will experience at least some happiness along with all the hard work that God gives them. Life is hard. So why not enjoy some of it, right? Now, before you start thinking that Solomon thought life was just one big party, let me ask you, do you enjoy life when you're sprinting from one thing to the next? Do you enjoy life when you don't have time to think about anyone other than yourself? Do you enjoy life when all you can muster is a grunt to your spouse? When you get home at 9 p.m. after a day filled with work and happy hour and kids activities and, and PTA board meetings? And I know that some of you are in a season of inevitable busyness. You're carrying a load that you didn't expect to carry. You're working two jobs to make ends meet. You're caring for elderly parents you didn't expect to care for in this season. And I get that. I'm not, I'm not addressing you. There are times we have to carry those things. But for some of us, we've got to stop and ask, do we enjoy life when we're just sprinting from one thing to the, to the next? Maybe another question, do you enjoy life when you've got two houses that need repairs and constant cleaning? You've got three or four cars that require gas, oil, insurance, mechanic bills. You've got that boat, a snowmobile, bike, and other kinds of toys that require constant attention and upkeep. And some of you are like, yeah, I want to see for myself if I enjoy those things or not. Okay, I can't relate, but I want to see. And I, I get that. But what I'm asking all of us is just to ask ourselves, are we so full of less important stuff and social engagements and activities and things that we've accumulated and we're missing out? on enjoying what matters most, like loving God, having a few strong relationships with family and friends and living out a greater purpose. In the book called Essentialism, written by a guy named Greg McCune, a fantastic book, by the way, called Essentialism. I've read read twice now. McCune writes this. He says, when you don't purposefully and deliberately choose where to focus your energy and time, other people are going to choose for you. Before long, you'll have lost sight of everything that is meaningful and important to you. In other words, if you don't decide what matters most, someone else will. McCune recounts this story told to him by a woman named Cynthia. She talked about the time 
that her dad had made plans to take her out a night out in San Francisco. Now, Cynthia was 12 years old when she's um, remembering this, this memory. They'd been planning this date for months. Excuse me, she's an older woman now, and she's remembering when she was 12 years old. But they had this whole itinerary planned down to the minute. The father, who was this well-known author and businessman, uh, told her as soon as the, the presentation was over, he was given a talk, they were going to sneak out the back of the room and head to catch a trolley to go to Chinatown in, in San Francisco and eat Chinese food, see the sights, and then catch a flick. And then they'd head back for a late-night swim. They'd order a hot fudge sundae, and watch TV until they fell asleep, a 12-year-old girl's dream. And all of that was going to plan until her dad ran into an old business partner, and the friend actually said to him, he, he said, my wife and I haven't seen you in forever. We would love to take you out to the finest five-star seafood restaurant in town. And her father responded, that sounds absolutely wonderful. I would love to do that. And as Cynthia heard this, her heart sank. The night she'd been looking forward to for months was, was going to be ruined. But the father continued, however, he said to his friend, not tonight. Cynthia and I have a special date planned, don't we? And they proceeded to run out the door and continue with an unforgettable night in San Francisco. And Cynthia later recalled, and I quote, This decision bonded me to my dad forever. Because I knew what mattered most to him. He decided what mattered most, and it made all the difference in his relationship with his daughter. Now, personally, for me, my top five priorities are God, family, friends, health, and purpose. If I'm asked to do anything that falls outside of those five priorities, my answer is usually no, unless these five areas are strong and prioritized. Since I can't decide for you, it's time to take an inventory. What matters most to you? Is it that extra happy hour with work colleagues? Or is it to be home with your family in time for dinner? Is it those extra material possessions? And maybe they're good things and maybe you have margin for them. Or maybe it's to have a little more financial peace and margin. Whatever it is, in order to live with a disciplined pursuit of less, we've got to first decide what matters most. Second way to live with a disciplined pursuit of less, it's time to clear out and cut back. Solomon writes this fantastic verse, by the way. He says, better is one handful with tranquility than two handfuls with toil and stress. In other words, if we constantly live with, with two hands full of stuff and activity and possessions, our lives are going to be filled with stress and toil and exhaustion. But living with one handful, focusing on less, creating margin in our finances, our schedule and our life, one handful living will bring this kind of clarity and control and peace and joy and fulfillment that most of us have been searching for. See, but most of our lives have become overwhelmed and too full, just like many of our closets. When I was in college, I didn't have a real closet. I had one of those uh, makeshift hanging stations, you know, that you just kind of put in your room. And I had, uh, seven shirts and a couple pairs of jeans and I never washed those jeans. You know, in college, it's like, why waste your time? I just spray a little Febreze on them and I probably never washed them my whole time in college until I would bring them home. But today I've got like 10 pairs of jeans, you know, I've got 15 pairs of shoes. I've got dozens of shirts. I even got three suits. 
I mean, I never wear a suit except like twice a year when I do a funeral or a wedding. I, why do I have three suits? I maybe wear half of those jeans and like 75% of those shirts. And, and I mentioned this earlier. We buy a lot of thrifty stuff and we also frequently get rid of stuff and I still have too much. That's my closet. What about yours? No elbows, okay? Some of us have walk-in closets. Some of us have walk-around closets. Some of us have two-level closets. Some of us have storage units to put the stuff that doesn't fit into our closet. So it just sits there for whatever day you're going to pull out those other pairs of you know jeans and stuff. But even still, what do some of us say when we are standing in front of our closet? I've got nothing to wear. <laughs> We've got all these options. I mean, why do we say that? Because we're overwhelmed with how much stuff we actually have. And some of our lives, like our closets, are just too full. We don't have enough room for the most important things. That's why you have to decide what matters most and then clear out and cut back the rest. Be relentless about it. As I mentioned, my top five priorities are God, family, friends, health, and purpose. These are my top five. You can steal them. You've got to decide what matters most for yourself, though. At the top of that list is God for me. That's why I start most of my days reading the Bible, journaling, in time with, in prayer with Him. It's so important that I start my day that way. For you, maybe you're a night person and you need to put that time at the end of your day, whatever it is. Prioritize God. Second for me is family. My spouse and my kids need my very best energy and focus. That's why we try to go on a date night almost every week. And we don't always go out to a restaurant. We don't always get a babysitter. Sometimes it's just putting our kids down and and connecting at night. That's why I try to bring my best energy and focus at night to my kids. Bedtime, by the way, is a complete war zone in our house. Can anyone relate to that? I mean, last night I pretended to be asleep while my daughter was yelling, I hate you, to my wife. You know, I'm sound asleep. That's terrible parenting. But I mean, it's just an absolute war zone in our house. But I try to bring my best energy to my kids at night. We fail frequently. I want my family to be a top priority for me. My friends, number three. I just find I can be good acquaintances with a lot of people, but, but I can really only be good friends with five or six people at most. Number four on that list is health. I've always said to Emily that if there's ever a, a, a time where we're debating the cost of of things that would bring health in our lives. Things like counseling or joining a gym or, or maybe buying healthy food. We try to make room for it. We get one body to live in and we want to be healthy. And the final thing on there is purpose. Now notice I don't say career. Career is great. A purpose is better. What's the difference? A, a, a career provides a paycheck, but purpose provides fulfillment and a greater sense of meaning. So no matter what you get paid to do, I find the people who are most content are those that prioritize living out their purpose. That could be within or outside their careers. Here's the deal. If my life is so full with those other unimportant things, it's time to clear out and cut back. Maybe it's time to dump that acquaintance that you really don't enjoy spending time with. Maybe it's time to say no to that happy hour gathering with coworkers you don't enjoy either. Maybe it's time to say no to those extra dinner invitations. And again, these are good things, but you got to make room for the things that matter most. Maybe it's saying no to a sporting event 
less material possessions. Maybe it's saying no to a, another organization or a community group or you know, when I, before we had our, our second child, I used to play softball on Sunday nights. I loved doing that. But then once we had our second kid, it just too much to do. So I had to say no to Sunday night softball. Every Friday morning before we had any kids, I used to play golf. Those were good days. <laughs> and now I don't have time to play golf every Friday morning. Now on Friday mornings, I spend time with my four-year-old and we go to Costco and we enjoy that together. And we go to the, the gym sometimes and we just hang out. But I don't have time to golf as much anymore because I want to prioritize my family. Whatever it, do, whatever it is, whatever you clear out and cut back, suddenly you look at your closet or your life and you see how much room you actually have. There's space for the things that matter most. There's margin in our finances to, to not be so stressed or consumed by every paycheck. There's just room to breathe so we can experience more of what matters most. In other words, and, and here's maybe a thought to leave you with. Sometimes you got to say no to something less for God's greater yes. See, my greater yes is a strong relationship with God. It's to live more like Jesus. It's to be emotionally, spiritually, physically healthy father and husband who has strong relationships. And it's to be someone who passionately pursues God's purpose in my life. Those are my top priorities. What are yours? Once you decide, clear out and cut back. The final thing is this. Last way to live with the disciplined pursuit of less. You got to choose quality over quantity. Solomon writes this, everything is wearisome beyond description. No matter how much we see, we are never satisfied. No matter how much we hear, we are not content. There are no amount of experiences or possessions that will ever satisfy you. And here's what I think. So many of us, and I've gone through many seasons like this, we don't even know how weary and tired we truly are. Is some of it inevitable? Of course, with kids, you just heard about mine. It's a war zone at home at night. With kids and school and work and obligations, of course, life can be wearisome. But we all have a lot more control over our schedule and our lives than we might even realize. You have the ability to choose quality over quantity. Just a final story to leave you with. A few years ago, I had the privilege of officiating the funeral of a 93-year-old woman named Marge. And really, there's nothing like a funeral to get you to reflect on your life and on what matters most. I sat there listening to people share about Marge. I was struck by how much she had made with her life, with how little she actually had. Now, Marge was actually physically little. She was four foot ten, and they said that many times. But she worked two jobs and 11-hour days for 40-plus years. And she did it all raising two kids as a single mom for most of her life. But now her two kids, both in their 70s, spoke of their mom as a fierce, loving, and consistent presence in their lives. Her 17-year-old great-granddaughter spoke of their close bond and friendship. She remembered the games they had played and and the things that they had done together. Her 40-year-old granddaughter didn't mention anything she had bought her. Instead, she recalled the experiences and the memories that they had made. 
Her brother, now in his 80s, talked about the shared experiences biking and tubing together and how she had provided for her family all on her own and how proud he was of her. And then her friend Joyce stood up and shared how Marge had lived out her faith. When Joyce was going through the loss and death of her first husband, money was extremely tight. But several times an anonymous check would show up from a credit union in Joyce's mailbox. And later she realized those anonymous checks were from Marge, who really didn't have any money of her own. To be honest with you, there weren't hundreds of people there that day at her funeral, maybe 75 or so. Because according to Marge's son-in-law, Mike, a lot of her friends had, quote, already gone and died because she had lived so dang long. I mean, nothing like a son-in-law to, you know, express some sentiment at a funeral. But as I sat there, I thought, at my funeral, people are going to talk about what matters most to me. For Marge, it was clear. Family and relationships and, and faith. So what are people going to say about me? What are people going to say about you? And we're going to close out singing about the most important thing in our lives. And maybe you know Jesus, maybe, maybe you don't. But if I can leave you with any thought, it's this. How can we, as followers of Christ, choose to prioritize what matters most? It's a sobering thought, but the Bible says our lives are here for a while, but then they vanish like the wind. So what kind of life will you live? What kind of year will you have? Some of you are carrying so much. Your hands are so full. It's time to lay something down. Solomon says, better is one handful with tranquility than two handfuls with toil and stress. We need less stuff and more peace less acquaintances and more deep community and friendships. We need less pointless activity and more time pursuing greater purpose. We need more of what uh, does matter and less of what doesn't. Ultimately, we need more of Jesus. People will talk about the things that mattered most to you and I. And I want you to think about what are they going to say? Let's pray as I invite the band up to sing one final song. Heavenly Father, Grateful that you are a God who shows us how to prioritize what does matter. God, and it's clear to me that we're all going to struggle with this for our entire lives. There's so many temptations, so many things that get in the way of what matters most. But today, this day, we want to remember what does matter most, and that's a relationship with your son, Jesus. So as we leave here today, help us to make you the first thing on our mind, the first thing in our life so that we can prioritize the things that matter most, God. We're just thankful for your son, Jesus, and what he has done for us. And we pray this all in his name. Amen.